0: Donald Rumsfeld's death comes on a day with about five weeks worth of news in it otherwise.
1: Every day had five weeks of news in it otherwise. Who decided to take off last week? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I'm going to blame Desi. I got the feeling of something right. Why not? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. To the left me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Here I am, here we are From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE up in Sweltering, Oregon, on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in uh, sweltering Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing planet Earth, usually five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us, and yes, like it or not, we are back (laughs) after a much-needed week off uh, and an in-person visit with my mom for the first time in over a year and a half during the uh, uh, pandemic. So thank you for tolerating our absence, but don't worry, we will get you all caught up today somehow with absolutely everything that you missed in maybe just one segment here, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Good luck. Thank you. I think we'll need it. Yes. Uh, And based on some of the emails that I've received in recent days, it sounds like a few of you actually missed us! Aww. As incredible as that seems, uh, to the point where some of you were sending news to us, <laughs> which I am grateful for, especially after a week of trying to avoid as much news as I could, uh, which, given last week, that I was sort of hoping to no avail, uh, would be a fairly quiet week in summer, with Congress out of session. Yeah, no. no, <laughs> Not and anymore. Not anything but a slow news week. Uh, we'll get you caught up in a moment, and uh, we will be joined by a very smart guest to help explain how the Republicans on the stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court continued late last week to undermine elections and democracy in America yet again with their final opinions of this term. But uh, one of those emails uh, from a listener is, is is a bit of a first-hand account of one of the now huge wildfires. Uh, uh, Just amid the horrific climate change fueled heat wave that slammed the West and specifically the Pacific Northwest last week, uh, one of the fires that officials had thought they had all but put out up in northern California, only to leave what had been, I guess, a, a small fire. Before later finding out that it had reignited and it was now a huge fire, the largest fire of the season so far here in California, called the Lava Fire, burning in uh, northeast of Weed, California, uh, which has spread to some 25,000 acres now. It's the most destructive in the state this year. It was sparked by lightning way back on June 24. And like I said, officials thought it had been extinguished. But it was in it's called the lava fire because it's in this area with a lot of uh, lava rocks and lava tubes and so forth. And apparently they believe the roots of the, the roots of the very dry brush underneath the lava stones and inside the tubes continued to burn unseen and ended up in, you know, when they left it, they were feeling the rocks. Uh, they didn't feel warm. They left it, and it became a huge fire, which has now destroyed some 45 structures, Mm. uh, including 12 single-family homes. It's even resulted in someone uh, getting shot and killed while trying to protect cannabis crops up Mm. in the area. Uh, One of our listeners in the area, Russ F., who says he's about 20 miles from the lava fire and about 50 50 miles from two others known as the Salt and Tenant fires— He writes in to say, hi, Brad and Desi, I want to check in safe from the lava, tenant and salt fires. Oh, my. The real heartbreaker is seeing the huge carbon footprint of combating and putting out these wildfires. He says there are bulldozers cutting lines, airplanes dropping borade, helicopters dropping water, trucks hauling water and fire engines pumping water, all burning fossil fuels to operate. Putting these fires out is all but ensuring that there will be more in the future. Like a story I heard about a ski resort, he said, that was going to host some big skiing event but didn't have enough snow due to drought caused by climate change. So they hauled a bunch of snow from elsewhere and (laughs) opened the resort.
0: Kind of crazy, I know.
1: Yep. He says, please help uh, help me stay sane as I continue to witness the ways of the world, uh, writes Russ F, who adds he is okay for now, but breathing the smoke and getting covered with ash Mm. nearby. Mm -mm. Thank you for checking in, Rush. Uh, Rush. (laughs) Russ, uh, not sure how uh, sane we can help you stay. uh, But some of the notes from listeners over the last week have actually helped me. So uh, thank you for that, especially with the blizzard of news that just kept coming in, coming and coming last week. Uh, So under the premise that everybody took off last week because we did, (laughs) uh, let's see if we can somehow get caught up by running through just a few of the stories that we missed here last week, even though I suspect it'll take a bunch more days before we can even come close to getting fully caught up. Um, and, and especially in discussing what they all mean for us moving forward. But uh, if only for my edification here, uh, let's see uh, if we can get as caught up as much as possible in one single segment. More than 30 are now confirmed dead with over 100 still unaccounted for in the collapse of the 12 story Champlain Tower South condominium in Surfside, Florida. That collapsed just before we uh, uh, finished up uh, prior to our break. After a week of recovery efforts, now uh, there have been, as I said, more than 30 confirmed dead. On the night of July 4, officials demolished the rest of the condo tower that was still standing. As Elsa, the earliest fifth named Atlantic storm on record, the earliest fifth named Atlantic storm on record, is now bearing down on Florida, which sped up the need to take down the rest of that tower. This uh, ELSA now pushes this year's Atlantic storm season ahead uh, ahead of the pace set by the record-breaking 2020 hurricane season.
0: Yeah, that's not good.
1: No, not good, and no small feat after what we went through last year.
0: That was an historic, biblical hurricane season.
1: Right. So far... It's even worse. The first hurricane of the season is typically not seen until August 10, just to give you an idea how far ahead we seem to be now. So this one is setting records there as well. It will continue to develop over the next few days uh, after blowing through Cuba and it appears to now be targeting Tampa. Uh, which is one of the most vulnerable urban centers in Florida?
0: I think it's one of the most vulnerable urban centers in the entire United States. Tampa Bay, a a direct hit of a a major hurricane on Tampa Bay would be pretty bad because of the way that it's situated. It acts like a funnel, and also because it is on a shallow continental shelf, so it gets kind of double the storm surge Mm. of Miami.
1: Yeah, good luck. So
0: that's not good if it hits bullseye. Hopefully it won't.
1: Hopefully it won't. Good luck. Tampa will... We will be watching. Also last week, speaking of the climate crisis that is not in the future anymore, by the way, it is now here. After years of ignored warnings that it would be here, uh, record heat up in the northwest, including up in Canada, killed more than 100 Americans in Seattle alone. Not to mention in Oregon and in British Columbia, up in Canada, as temperatures reached into the hundreds and as high as 116, which was an all-time record, and then the next day, 118, an all-time record, and then 121 in Canada. In an area, uh, a lot of these areas in the Pacific Northwest that do not have air conditioning normally, just 44 percent of homes in Seattle actually have AC because the temperatures never get even close to that, or at least they didn't used to before our climate crisis has reached the point where it is now affecting the nation literally from its farthest reaching corners from Seattle all In the northwest, all the way down to, uh, to down to Miami in the uh, in the continental U.S. But British Columbia looks to have suffered by far the greatest loss of life. Uh, Cana- uh, Canadian, the Canadian province's chief coroner said that there were 486, quote, sudden and unexpected deaths during a five day period last week. Now, we don't know for sure if all of those deaths were because of the heat, but the coroner said they typically have about 165 people that would be expected to die in a five-day period this time of year. So we could be looking at more than 300 heat-related deaths last week alone there in normal, normally cool British Columbia. A lobbyist, meanwhile, for ExxonMobil was caught on tape believing that he was speaking to a headhunter, admitting that ExxonMobil spent years and millions of dollars funding AstroTurf astroturf groups to lie about climate change. Caught on tape, Uh, even though they absolutely knew that they were lying about it and uh, about the fact that their product was destroying the planet. More on that, I suspect, in our first Green News report back uh, later this week. Uh, Some good news on that front. Joe Biden signed three laws reversing Trump regulations under the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress for a limited time to to overturn uh, rules and regulations that were made by the previous president. In this case, one of them reversed regulations allowing for the. Uh, The leaking of methane from oil and gas wells, is that the right way to describe it?
0: Yeah, required that oil and gas companies must clean up leaks that they have in their drilling equipment, which is a huge source of methane, which is a very important greenhouse gas.
1: Uh, And thus a contributor to our climate crisis. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Some more good-ish news last week. Attorney General Merrick Garland put a moratorium on federal executions vowing to examine the previous administration's horrific, bloodthirsty policies on the death penalty, which led to an unprecedented rush uh, in the final months of Trump's presidency to kill as many prisoners as possible. Uh, That that even while the uh, previous administration was overseeing the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans by lying to them about the dangers of the coronavirus. More now known knowns, George W. Bush's defense secretary turned war criminal Don Rumsfeld died at 88. The U.S. finally evacuated the huge Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan after 20 years of its long and largely pointless war that President Biden appears, at least, to finally be ending by pulling out all U.S. troops. From the country in advance of this year's 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks that sparked our longest ever war in the first place there. COVID infections, meanwhile, started creeping back up again nationally. Clearly our fault because we weren't here to warn people otherwise. Uh, Creeping up about 10 percent over the previous week, driven in no small part by the Delta variant, which is said to be some 60 times more infectious than earlier variants. And even as the vaccines we currently have for covid are said to be effective against the Delta variant, uh, if not as effective as they are against uh, the other variants. Um, But if you're not vaccinated by now. Seriously, people, what are you waiting for? Are you out of your minds? L.A. County, even though we have one of the lowest infection rates in the nation, urged residents to go back to using masks indoors in public uh, due to the increasing danger of the Delta variant. It is not a mandate, but it is a very strong recommendation from the county, and I am just fine with that. Have I mentioned you should get vaccinated if you haven't already?
0: Yeah. If you're not going to do it for yourself, then please do it for every single human being that you encounter in your daily life. They also have loved ones that they might want to take care of, even if you don't wish to take care of your own.
1: Desi sounds mad. I am. More than 180 people were killed in shootings across the country over the Fourth of July holiday weekend, according to data compiled by the Gun Violence Archive. NPR reports that by 1130 p.m. on Monday night, the last day of the holiday weekend, the Gun Violence Archive reported 189 people killed and 516 injured in shootings over the course of a 72 hour period starting on Friday. In total, there were more than 540 shootings over the holiday weekend in which we apparently celebrate the freedom to own as many weapons of mass destruction as we like. Those numbers may increase as more statistics are collected from the weekend. Nancy Pelosi last week created a January 6th congressional select committee to investigate the causes of the worst attack on democracy since the Civil War and the worst actual attack on our nation's capital since the War of 1812. Naming seven Democrats and one Republican, Liz Cheney, to sit on the committee. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is entitled to nominate five Republicans to the committee. He has yet to do so, however. That'll give the Democrats a seven to six majority on the panel. That, after Republicans in the House and Senate, uh, after agreeing to an evenly divided independent commission With equal subpoena power and the power to veto subpoenas, they reneged on their deal and they voted against the formation of what would would have been an evenly balanced bipartisan independent commission. So they get this committee instead, a committee that could, if it wanted to, even subpoena Donald Trump himself, as South Carolina Congressman James Clyburn Clyburn has suggested it just may. Sexual predator Bill Cosby was suddenly released from prison one day last week out of nowhere after, it turns out, one of the lawyers defending Donald Trump in his second impeachment trial, a guy by the name of Bruce Castor. Remember him? He had made a corrupt deal, apparently, with Cosby years ago when Castor served as the district attorney in Philadelphia And there was an unwritten deal to not prosecute Cosby criminally in exchange for the disgraced comedian giving a deposition in a civil case by one of his alleged sexual assault victims at the time. That agreement apparently was enough to have his entire case tossed out a decade or two later uh, by the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And so now Bill Cosby runs free. Speaking of predators, the Boy Scouts of America agreed to an eight hundred and fifty million dollar settlement with thousands of victims said to have been sexually abused by scout leaders last week. Well, the settlement was last week. (laughs) They weren't all anyway. Yeah. Among the uh, biggest news of the week, of course, that we missed uh, is that the Trump Organization and its longtime chief financial officer, Alan Weiselberg, were criminally indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney with 10 charges for Trump's company, 15 charges against Weiselberg, which could land him in prison. For many, many years. And I think he's I think he's 78 years old, pushing 80. So Mm -hmm. the, the charges include scheme to defraud, conspiracy, grand larceny, criminal tax fraud and falsifying of business records. I believe we will definitely be covering that story more in the days ahead. Even as experts suggest that in uh, that the indictments were written in such a way to suggest that there will be more charges for other executives at the company. Hello, Ivanka. Hello, Don Jr., Eric. And yes, hello, Mr. Former President. All of that may be in the offing in the days ahead. Also, the New York mayor's election went sideways as the uh, already ridiculously complicated ranked choice voting system that the city is now using for the first time ever got even more messy when it was discovered that about 140,000 sample test ballots were accidentally included. In the weeks-long ranked-choice tabulations, meaning that they pretty much have to start all over again on those tallies. Now, by the way, even though I'm not a fan of ranked-choice voting, that is not the fault of ranked-choice voting. Even though it's virtually already virtually impossible for the public to oversee ranked-choice voting elections, the tabulations of them. But this was the fault of the still-terrible New York City Board of Elections, which continues to screw up in election after election. Arizona's pretend audit theater playtime, pretending to look at the results of the 2020 presidential and senatorial election in the state, you know, the races that the Democrats won last year. Those are the only ones they're concerned about. Well, that uh, audit theater was extended yet again in Maricopa County. It was supposed to have been done weeks, months ago. Uh, It was extended in Maricopa County, which includes Phoenix and about two thirds of the total ballots that were cast in the state last November. That is the, of course, the partially taxpayer funded post-election audit, which is being run almost completely in secret by a right wing QAnon conspiracy group calling themselves cyber ninjas. In case you forgot, as I reported many weeks ago, the ninjas own procedures documents Ordered released by a court when they tried to keep them secret, even though they're using tax money for all of this, their own documents reveal that their own processes will allow for a minimum of 42,000 votes to be changed or miscounted or just be in error and set off no alarm bells within the process. It's the expected error rate of at least 42,000 votes to be wrong. In the presidential election, that was won by Joe Biden in Arizona by just about 10,000 votes or so. So expect some insane numbers to come from that count uh, of 2.1 million ballots in Maricopa if the ninjas ever finish the count anytime soon and if they ever release any actual numbers from it. Numbers that can no longer either be proven or disproven or verified or not because the chain of custody on the actual ballots from last year has now been permanently corrupted when the uh, GOP state Senate forced Maricopa County to hand everything over to this right wing conspiracy group. And like I said, slow news week. I'm sure I missed some important stuff. But uh, the U.S. Supreme Court on the last day of its term last week overturned a lower appeals court that had blocked two Arizona voting laws that Disproportionately disenfranchised minority voters by blocking the counting of certain ballots and the collection of other ballots. We will discuss that ruling, making it now perfectly legal, apparently, to enact laws all over the country that make it harder for minorities to vote. And we'll discuss another opinion from the High Court that prevents the California Attorney General from learning the identity of dark money donors to political action committees. Uh, thanks, Supreme Court, to make sure that they aren't violating the law is why the Attorney General wanted to see who those dark money donors were, but nope, we're not allowed to do that either. We will discuss that and more with my guest from the nonpartisan Fair Elections Center in D.C. Next on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman, and yes, we're back, like it or not.
0: Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
1: We can't stop the world. But I'm trying. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Following the release of the final opinions for this year's Supreme Court term last Thursday, the U.S. Justice Department said it quote, urges Congress to enact additional legislation to protect voting rights in light of the Supreme Court's decision to uphold two restrictive voting laws. In Arizona. In a six to three ruling, the six Republican appointees on the court held that the Arizona laws, one requiring that ballots cast at the wrong precinct must be discarded, and another barring the third-party collection of absentee ballots, were lawful even though they resulted in a disproportionately negative impact on minority groups like Hispanic and Native American voters in the critical battleground state. Writing for the court's majority, Justice Samuel Alito, arguably its most partisan member, wrote, to the extent that minority and non-minority groups differ with respect to employment, wealth and education, even neutral regulations, no matter how crafted, may well result in some predictable disparities in rates of voting and noncompliance with voting rules. But oh well, I guess that's the way things go. Apparently, the court will not block such laws that disproportionately disenfranchise minority groups because, they suggest, that's just, well... Totally an accident, I guess. Not unlike the famous quote from the French poet who cynically observed the law in its majestic equality forbids rich and poor alike to sleep under bridges, to beg in the streets and to steal loaves of bread. See, the law is totally neutral. It's not targeted to hurt anyone any more than anyone else. And well, if it does, that's totally coincidental. According to at least my reading of Alito's opinion, we'll see if my guest feels the same momentarily. The Justice Department released the statement in response to that ruling, including a call for Congress to pass additional voting protections. The attorney general has made clear the Department of Justice will never stop working to protect the democracy to which all Americans are entitled. The DOJ said the department remains strongly committed to challenging discriminatory election laws and will continue to use every legal tool available to protect all qualified Americans seeking to participate in the electoral process. Those tools, however already passed by Congress via the Voting Rights Act, seem to be quickly dwindling. Struck down most famously in 2013's Shelby County case, which gutted the requirement that jurisdictions with a history of racism at the polling place get preclearance for new election laws from either the DOJ or a federal district court panel before they can be put in practice, And now by Brnovich v. DNC, after a federal appeals court had blocked those two voting restrictions in Arizona uh, that were defended by the state's Republican Attorney General, Mark Brnovich, only to see them reinstated by the GOP's stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court last week, undermining another section of the Voting Rights Act, which was written to prevent voting laws in all 50 states, that had either the purpose or the effect of disenfranchising minority voters. The DOJ, in its statement, said the nation's top law enforcement agency, quote, urges Congress to enact additional legislation to provide more effective protection for Americans', vo- Americans right to vote. But that call for additional voting rights legislation comes as Republicans block Democrats' voting rights legislation in the Senate, Thanks to the Senate filibuster, which, unless reformed or eliminated, allows the minority to block legislation by the majority. The SCOTUS ruling also comes just days after the Justice Department sued the state of Georgia, over that state's new voting restrictions, joining some seven other groups who have also filed suit against the law in Georgia. One of those suits, I should note, by way of full disclosure, the one filed by the Coalition for Good Governance, includes me as one of the named plaintiffs, in my case representing the media, whose press uh, uh, freedom of the press and ability to simply Report on elections is hamstrung and indeed criminalized as part of Georgia's massive new voter suppression law known as SB202. The DOJ suit against Georgia, like the Arizona case decided Thursday, relies on Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. However, unlike plaintiffs in the Arizona case, the federal litigators argued that Georgia's laws were enacted with a discriminatory purpose rather than simply having a discriminatory effect. In his majority opinion, upholding those two Arizona voting restrictions, Justice Alito laid out several, quote, guideposts as he made his way toward the conclusion that the restrictions did not somehow violate the Voting Rights Act. These guideposts, however, are new, and courts could use them to evaluate Voting Rights Act-related rulings in the future, according to Alito, but in her dissent, Justice Elena Kagan described these guideposts as invented extra textual restrictions on Section two of the Voting Rights Act. The majority completely ignored decades of precedent interpreting Section two of the Voting Rights Act and stood up new standards that had never been Uh, Never before been part of the jurisprudence, said Wendy Weiser, the director of the Democracy Program at the Brennan Center for Justice. The opinion, she said, dramatically changed the jurisprudence. Among Alito's consideration, the size of the burden on voters, the disparity of a rule's impact on minority voters, whether there are other non-burdensome opportunities to cast a ballot available to voters. Hey, you can't do it one way, but you can do it another the strength of the state's interest in things such as, quote, preventing election fraud, even though Arizona was able to show no evidence of such fraud that might have been prevented by these new laws. And even the, the degree to which the rule departs from what was standard practice in 1982, when the Voting Rights Act was last amended for reasons that I don't fully understand, frankly, but again, maybe my guess does. And can help us all understand. They're sort of rewriting the standard upon which to describe the racial impact of these provisions, says Robert Brandon, president and CEO of the Fair Elections Center. It's an effort to try to give the impression that they're carefully thinking about the impact that these provisions might have, but to me, he says, it's ignoring the reality. Joining us now in the reality based world of elections is Robert Brandon of FairElections.org. The Fair Elections Center is a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit voting rights and election reform organization that utilizes litigation and advocacy to remove barriers to registration and voting, particularly in underrepresented and marginalized communities. Oh, counselor, welcome to the broadcast, sir.
2: Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: So, uh, Robert Brandon, uh, Justice Alito and a number of the court's other right wingers like the late Antonin Scalia uh, claim to be originalists, textualists, constitutionalists who claim to interpret the Constitution literally as written. Uh, Yet the Constitution's 15th Amendment is actually one of the clearer and more concise ones, it seems to me. It's about two sentences long. Uh, the, those two sentences are section one, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color or previous condition of servitude. And section two says simply one sentence. The Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Now, it took about 100 years After the ratification of the 15th Amendment in 1870 for Congress to do that with the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and yet the judiciary, uh, in this case the right-wingers on the U.S. Supreme Court, seem to be continually taking away the power of Congress as specifically granted in the Constitution. To, force, to enforce the, uh, the, the 15th Amendment with legislation. What am I missing? How is that in any way an originalist or textualist interpretation of the literal words of the Constitution?
2: Well, um, as you mentioned, I think you got it right. It, it's not. It's a real departure from supposedly the structure upon which the conservative parts of the court tend to approach things. You know, the, the decision clearly is going to make it harder to challenge and defeat in court the laws that disenfranchise the most vulnerable Americans, particularly black and brown voters mm-hmm. and other marginalized voters in the case of Arizona, including disabled voters mm-hmm. who often need help delivering their ballots. And, you know, it's to some extent uh, the, the decision and the court majority acts like the efforts to suppress the vote Uh, and particularly voters of color, Mm -hmm. no longer exists. It's a little bit like what they did in the Shelby case you mentioned, Mm -hmm. uh, which eliminated preclearance as a a condition of uh, a law being able to go into effect by the courts basically saying, well, all of that history doesn't really exist anymore. All of that discriminatory uh, voting rules doesn't really exist anymore, so we don't really need uh, the preclearance requirements in these states and localities that have had a history of uh, denying the vote for, mm. particularly African Americans, but mm-hmm. people in general.
1: Well, and without that pre-clearance, we have in Section Five, we have to rely on uh, what's left of the law in Section Two here, and even that they seem to be g- gutting. What what does I I I really have a difficult time understanding? What was Alito getting at by saying basically that any laws that were in place as of 1982? are somehow just fine? Help me out here with that right. one.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a tortured sense of history. He basically is saying, Well look, back in 1982, we didn't even have things like early voting and mail-in voting, absentee voting. You know, we, uh, and now we have all these other options, so therefore, how bad could it be if you deny some of them? Um, and, and he's looking back at 1982, as you mentioned, which is the last time the Voting Rights Act was, reenacted it it's ironic because the same court or many of the same people in Shelby said, Oh, we don't need to look back because that's history. Let's look forward. Today there's hardly any examples of uh discrimination on uh new voting laws in the South and in other jurisdictions that have a history of doing this. Of course ironically, I might add, mm-hmm. the reason that was true is that Shelby had preclearance in place and pre clearance did keep almost all of these laws out of being enacted because either the jurisdictions decided it wasn't worth doing it because they're going to get knocked down anyway, or they were turned down by the Justice Department or in a few cases the federal courts.
1: We'll uh, we'll broaden this out in a second to uh, what this opinion now means for these other states and the rash of Similar uh, voter suppression laws, as I see them, that are now being adopted in in just you know, dozens of republican controlled states. But how are those laws in Arizona uh, now justifiable when Alito himself seems to recognize, as as in that part of that quote that I, I read, he seems to recognize that the two laws in question will have a disproportionate impact. On minority voters, but he seems to be saying that's okay. That's just the the way things go.
2: Yeah. Well, I think he said, you know, it's discrimination is okay as long as it's not a whole lot. <laughs> and so he, one of the examples he uses is in the in this decision about uh, the, the change in the law to deny people who get into the wrong precinct and vote all their entire ballot gets. Thrown out. In other words, mm-hmm. if you were in the next precinct over, you could still vote for senator and president, and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, governor and congressional district, and probably state senator and state house. But you couldn't vote for some of the local people. That's the way many jurisdictions treat a miscast mm-hmm. ballot. And and there's some history here in Arizona. There's a lot of movement of precincts at the last minute. Yeah. Not surprisingly, they tend to be in parts of the community that are. Uh, more urban and more uh, representative of people of color, so that the so when he cited the statistics, he said, "Well, um, overall, only one percent of Native Americans cast ballots in the wrong place. Only one percent of African Americans cast ballots in the wrong place. Only one percent of Hispanic voters cast ballots in the wrong place. A half a percent of Caucasian voters cast ballots in the wrong place." So. You know, what's the big deal? It's like 98% of the people cast them in the right place. Now, you could think that white voters cast it at half the rate of black and brown voters Mm -hmm. and Native American voters. Um, but that's, you know, he made it sound like it's not a big deal as a half a percent, one percent.
1: What's the big deal? Oh well, yeah, well, one of the big deals is that in Arizona, the uh, presidential election happened to be decided by less than half of one percent, right. as I recall. So these numbers do make a difference. So to be clear, uh, if 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 a voter cast their vote in Arizona in the wrong precinct, it's understandable that they would throw out their, you know, the congressional uh, district race race, or a local race or something if they're in the wrong district. But this would throw out their vote for president and the Senate as well, simply for the quote-unquote crime of voting in a precinct where you're not entitled to vote? You lose your vote for president? Uh,
2: That's correct. The entire ballot is thrown out. And, you know, this is, again, something that most states... You know, accommodate the voter who might have made a mistake. Uh-huh. Um, as I mentioned, Arizona has a bad history of changing precincts at the last yep. minute, and that's one of the reasons why it's been a an issue there. We've urged the legislature there for years now to try to make this partial accounting rule in play put mm-hmm. in place, and uh, that's obviously not the case and And then you know the other proposal, uh, other law rather, that uh, Alito thinks is okay is this limitation on being able to help people who need help mm-hmm. uh... casting their ballot uh... disabled folks uh... people who you know uh, the native american population in mm-hmm. the navajo nation uh, the largest uh... native nation in the country is half in arizona and if you go onto their reservations there is no mail service And so people do collect ballots, and that's how, you know, there's long distances to get to a polling place. Mm -hmm. Many people don't have transportation. So it's a necessary part of helping people cast their ballot, the thing that we think is the most precious part of our democracy.
1: And I should note that is derisively referred to on places like Fox News as ballot harvesting, as if they're coming up with ballots that didn't exist somehow, uh, when yeah indeed it's it's helping people to have a voice uh, in their democracy right
2: and, and we have seen i mean Florida, for example, in their legis- their voter suppression legislation, has also limited the ability of uh, people uh, to be able to uh, collect ballots mm-hmm. it's limited to your immediate family members. Um, and-
1: yeah, yeah, and and then you know they're making it even harder by uh, reducing uh, drop boxes and so forth. Uh, you already said it's very difficult to you know get to a post office box on some of these in some of these places. It seems pretty clear what's going on here, but is it now, as far as the, the Supreme Court is concerned, is it now only a matter of when it can be proven that such laws had the intent of discrimination that they that they can be blocked that you know these so-called neutral laws like the ones as I mentioned that you know prevent both the rich and the poor alike from sleeping under bridges at night that those are just fine because they apply to everyone and uh, too bad if you're in a group that's more affected by them than, than other groups you, you now would, you'd have to you know, find an email where they say hey we can keep black people from voting if we do x y or z is, is that what it would take
2: you know and you know, of course the 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 actual implicate the um uh, uh the results of these laws are probably more objectively uh, determined than the intent so we've had the court now say if the re- the results may mm-hmm. look like they discriminate against certain groups but look at all these other factors and besides if it does it may not be that great and besides look at all the other ways people can vote. So, And look at, you know, this is much better than 1982. Um, But now the question is, if a case comes back to the court and they're looking at intent, how do you prove intent? Because Mm -hmm. I can tell you that these state legislatures have gotten a lot better at hiding their intentions. You know, as you, I'm sure, know, there, there, there are plenty of examples where legislatures literally got in a room and said to each other, here's a way black people vote in our state, let's yeah. get rid of it, or let's limit it, yeah. which is what the North Carolina legislature did a number of years ago, Where, yeah. the, and that case was thrown out precisely because these courts looked at and, and determined that this was an effort to explicitly go after ways that African Americans in North Carolina particularly used to vote.
1: So what does this now mean, then, for okay. all of these... Sort of similar laws that are being passed in other uh, GOP-controlled states right now, a- almost all of which are facing legal challenge in the courts. Are those uh, are, are those challenges now doomed?
2: Well, we're we're in one of those cases in Florida, mm-hmm. um, and we're probably going to add some other claims to it uh, soon. But so, section 2 itself. I mean, so now, a little bit of maybe good news. I don't know if it's good news, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Section two itself has not been a major section uh, that has been used in challenging voter restrictions. It's often been constitutional arguments around equal protection, for example. We've Mm -hmm. done that in challenging uh, a very bad uh, system of of denying uh, felons from uh, getting their rights back in Florida, for example, Mm -hmm. even before that initiative passed a few years ago. Um, But you wind up... In 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 in, uh, in most cases, not using Section two, but Section two is important if you're trying to prove specifically around racial uh, discrimination. Mm-hmm. But many of these laws can be challenged on constitutional grounds on equal protection, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a bit of good news there, but frankly, as you alluded to earlier. The best protection is going to be that the Congress steps in and provides some real protections for basic voting opportunities for Americans uh, that are contained in the voting rights sections of the For the People Act, for example. Mm -hmm. And then, just as important, maybe more important, amending the Voting Rights Act uh, Section 5, which is a section on Mm preclearance, using the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act amendment. Uh, those two things if they passed it would change everything in terms of the kinds of laws that are being passed now with you know great uh... speed in these states it, it's a it, great irony of course that we just had the highest turnout election in history mm-hmm. the one that you universally except by the guy in the white house who lost his seat mm-hmm. um has been pronounced including by a lot of republican secretaries of state as the safest, most effective, and most error-free vote in history. And yet now we're talking about adding uh, all these new barriers Mm -hmm. to voting around the country.
1: And, uh, you know, you referenced the uh, For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. You know, if by a sudden uh, stroke of reality, uh, West Virginia's Joe Manchin and Arizona's Kirsten Cinema suddenly come to realize how the Senate filibuster is allowing the GOP to enact partisan voter suppression laws all across the country. And if they decide to relent and allow those uh, bills for the people and the John Lewis uh, Act to uh, to be enacted, uh, given what I see as the Republican Supreme Court's willingness to ignore the 15th Amendment's mandate for Congress to enact laws to protect the right to vote for, for racial minorities. Is th- is there any reason to believe that SCOTUS won't simply knock down those laws as well at this point?
2: You know, uh, well, you know, as a trained lawyer, I like to think there's a certain level of jurisprudence that goes into Supreme Court decisions, even though some evidence to the contrary. So, I, yes, I do believe that congressional laws that, uh, protect the right to vote would be sustained in this, even this Supreme court. Um, and it is something we need to do, you know, and I, I, I hope that Manchin and Cinema sort of come to their senses and realize that, uh, the filibuster is not really something that promotes democracy. It's destroying democracy. And, yeah. you know, it's a little bit like the reported statement, uh, during the Vietnam war, how we, had to destroy the village in order to save it. Yeah. And, you know, here, I guess we need to destroy democracy in order to save democracy. <laughs> Something like
1: that. Yeah. Destroy the rights of the minority to stop democracy is what it feels like to me in the Senate. Uh, Robert Brandon, the uh, the court did strike down one election-related law uh, late last week as well, the one that would require the names of dark money donors to political action committees in California to be revealed to the uh, state's attorney general so that he or she can make sure that election laws are being followed in the state. The Supreme Court said, nope, you can't do that. Uh, how does that ruling affect your group's fight for fairer elections?
2: Well, um, I don't know it dir- has a direct impact on our, our work, frankly. We, um, you know, we do two things. We litigate uh, against voter suppression laws and we help people understand how they can navigate the rules, particularly young people. We have a huge campus vote project, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, people can take a look. And you mentioned, by the way, our website is it's, it's org. I think you said fair elections Ah, center.org. okay, but anyway,
1: thank you.
2: Uh, so, you know, the one thing I can say about this is the Supreme Court has been a l- somewhat consistent about protecting First Amendment rights, you know, to a fault, like mm-hmm. with Citizens United, believing that, Corporations have rights like all of us. But, um, you know, that ruling was sort of consistent with their uh, believing in the First Amendment. Um, but it is like a First Amendment right to protect the anonymity of uh, people who shovel large amounts of dark money into a system that, you know, we all know is corrupting mm-hmm. our not only our democracy, but all of the debates that go on about policies that we need to sort of fix you know whether it's climate change or uh, other basic uh, mm-hmm. needs of uh, tax reform you name it mm-hmm. um, we have people funding campaigns that we don't know about and uh you know this is in the charitable context which as we know these c4 charities have become the vehicle for doing a lot of political work
1: I do note that uh, Joe Manchin, in his uh, uh, what do we call it, his compromise version uh, that he he proposed for the uh, for the People Act, uh, does call for the pas- uh, passage of the Disclose Act, which would add some uh, transparency there again. I'm concerned that any of these things get passed. They then get struck down by this court unless this court can somehow be unpacked by expanding it, which, you know, that also requires uh, uh, reforming or eliminating the filibuster. So we're back into that same circle and everything. Seems to revolve around Joe Manchin uh, these days, but uh, to you, Robert Brandon, uh, uh, last thought right now: uh, our best bet is to try to get these congressional laws, these new tools, passed by uh, by Congress, both the For the People Act and the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act.
2: Uh, absolutely, they 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 are the way that Congress can, uh, and even under this court ruling. Uh, do something to protect the basic voting rights that are being taken away, you know, as we speak by too many uh, conservative legislators uh, and governors uh, around the country.
1: Robert Brandon is president, CEO, and co-founder of the Fair Elections Center. You can find them at org. You can also find them on the Twitters where they are fairer elections, fairer elections elections robert brandon really appreciate you joining us today thank you for your uh, your group's uh, very good work and for your uh insight into this fine mess today hope you don't mind if we give you a shout in the not too distant future
2: absolutely and thank you brad you bet Enjoy thank talking
1: you. to you thank awesome. you sir okay a quick break and we're <laughs> yes. back with our closing few minutes here uh and you know as you say des it always comes down to the same thing here, doesn't oh, it? Yes, these days.
0: Half these days, in order to yeah. stop the rampant voter suppression, pretty much the only tool that remains is calling bet your representatives and demanding that they enact these voter protections at the federal, state, and even the local level.
1: Well, you can call the federal level at 202-224-3121 to uh, talk to your senator, no matter where you live, tell them to get rid of the filibuster so that we can pass some legislation to protect voters. 202-224-3121 will, in theory, get you through to your senators, your two senators' offices. All right, quick break, and we are back with our closing few minutes on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Slow down,
0: you move too fast. You got
1: to make the morning last just I can't. Kick him down. I can't slow down. Stones, I have a week of shows I have to catch up with in one hour, Desi. Go and I cannot slow down. I know. Actually, a week and a day because Monday was a holiday. This is a four day work week. <laughs> on that point, listener Jim A sent this story to me on Monday via bradcast at bradblog.com, where you can also write me. And this seems worth noting after uh, being refreshed by a much needed week off and the start of a four-day work week. Trials of a four-day work week in Iceland were a, quote, overwhelming success and led to many workers moving to shorter hours, according to researchers. The BBC reported on Monday the trials in which workers were paid the same amount for shorter hours took place between 2015 and 2019, and they found that productivity remained the same or improved in the majority of workplaces according to researchers
0: well that's not surprising to me at all
1: (laughs) a number of other trials are now being run across the world including in Spain and by consumer goods giant Unilever in New Zealand but in Iceland the trials run by Reykjavik City Council and the national government eventually included more than twenty five hundred workers the trials led unions to renegotiate working patterns and now 86% of Iceland's workforce have either moved to shorter hours for the same pay or will gain the right to, according to the researchers. The uh, workers reported feeling less stressed and at risk of burnout and said their health and work-life balance had improved. And remember, this is the same amount of work productivity in just four days, and everybody felt better. The director of research at one of the companies that helped analyze the experiment in Iceland said this study shows that the world's largest ever trial of a shorter working week in the public sector was by all measures an overwhelming success. It shows the public sector is ripe for being a pioneer of shorter working weeks and lessons can be learned for other governments. A researcher at another group involved said the Icelandic shorter working week Uh, Journey tells us that not only is it possible to work less in modern times, but that progressive change is possible, too. At least in Iceland. (laughs) Spain is piloting a four-day working week for companies, in part due to the challenges of coronavirus. And Unilever in New Zealand is also giving staff a chance to cut their hours by 20% without hurting their pay in a trial. I like it. In May, a report commissioned by the four-day week campaign in London suggested that shorter hours could cut the UK's carbon footprint as well.
0: Well, it won't just cut the carbon footprint, which, yes, it absolutely would with people not having to drive to that stupid commute to work every day, but also it will reduce public health costs because we have a very sick population here in the United States caused by stress and uh, the economic precarity of the system that we have. So I can see it being a big benefit overall, but... You know, that's not the society that the United States lives in right now.
1: Well, I'm working on it, (laughs) doing what I can. Uh, Sounds like a good idea to me anyway. So the catch-up will continue during this four-day work week for us, thanks to the holiday on Monday. The uh, catch-up will continue when the broadcast returns. Tomorrow for our next thrilling adventure. Until then, my thanks to my guest today, Robert Brandon of Fair Center.org, and to Desi Doyen, of course, our producer, and to mm-hmm. all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can always download them for free at Bradblog.com. And though it's free to listen to our shows, it's not free to produce them, so we do appreciate those of you who stop by Bradblog.com/slash donate to keep us going as long as we can. Uh, you can also drop me email at bradcast at bradblog.com, and you'll find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Bradblog. I will see you there until we see you here tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Slow down, take it easy. Good luck, world. Bye. Bye.